Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Well, we have had uh, numerous requests uh, to um, eliminate a guest. A you guest have? Again. You have? Yes. Oh. Uh, numerous. Uh, what, people are numerous, most mean, numerous means two. More than one. <laughs> and of course, um, uh, they're all very interested in what you have to say. Oh, please. So um, I'm going to throw all these things at you and you're going to give us your your insight hey, into all be, these issues be, before we do that i just um uh one of the greatest hockey writers in the united states uh his name is jay greenberg from philadelphia from philadelphia um actually moved to toronto for a while wrote for the toronto sun and went back to the united states yeah York, that's right Coast. i yeah. recall that yeah jay passed away last night I understand. Uh, 71 years old. And he was, you know, it, it, Philadelphia was an interesting place uh, to, uh, to do and go and cover hockey. Cause it was really, it was, it was just a little bastion of traditional, you know, flyers, broad street bullies, hockey. And Jay was a big part of it. Uh, and he's going to be missed. He's uh he was a, a good person. His, his family was solid uh, and he loved the game of hockey. Uh, and, uh, and he hasn't written much in the last little while, although he was in the midst of writing a book about Mike Keenan uh, right, uh, as we speak. Uh, and, I, and I believe that, in fact, in the last seven to 10 days, he wrote the final chapters of the book. Oh, good. And so uh, it's just a sad day for uh, people in and around the, the, the hockey community. Jay Greenberg, he's in, he's, he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame in the media wing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a, he was a great person and a great writer, and, uh, and hockey's going to miss him. I, I, I know we had him on the program, and I could be wrong, but I believe he, would, he actually came in studio more than once in his yeah. brief time here in Toronto. I, he wasn't here more than a couple of years, was no, he? No, it, it was... It was it was less than two years, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you, you don't see that very often where a U.S. based hockey writer moves to Canada and takes up uh, uh, domesticity in, uh, in our country and writes about the game. But he was he was that good and got hired. The people at the Toronto Sun thought he was uh, talented enough, and he certainly was, to uh, write about the game for a long period of time. But anyway, it's just. Uh, not the greatest way to start a podcast, but uh, he was uh, he was a good person and a and a great writer and uh, and hockey's the lesser for it today. Uh, the Field of Dreams game, the first Field of Dreams game. I have no doubt we're going to see more of these. Um, well, I suspect we're going to have one every year now, don't you? I suspect we are. Uh, it took place last night. Uh, we'll talk about that and a bunch of other things when uh, the podcast continues after these messages. It's McCowan. It's uh, Shannon on the program. Did you watch the Field of Dreams game last night? I did. Yeah, I did. I, I, I was fascinated to see what it would look like, and it did not disappoint. Well, I confess, I completely blanked and forgot it was on until it was too late. And uh, I've only had the opportunity to see uh, highlights, for lack of a better term. All you had to do was watch the ninth inning, Bob. Oh, my goodness gracious. Well, pretty dramatic, huh? Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, Liam Hendrick comes in and 
can't get anybody out for or got gets two out but with two down the Yankees hit two home runs and take the lead eight seven um and then uh, in the bottom of the ninth in the end uh, uh Tim Anderson with a uh a walk uh, a two-run walk-off home run it was into it was the cornfield <laughs> into the cornfields and I mean they they listen they played it up all night long oh sure um about uh about the movie and about the game and but they were saying uh, last night that uh, there's about 8,300 people. They built a stand, a, a grandstand for 8,300 people. Yeah, I saw. That um, it was the second highest uh, bidded ticket price in the history of Major League Baseball. And it was around $3,000 a ticket by the time it was over. Wow. <laughs> and guess, guess what event usurped it? In all the years of baseball, and you'll you, as soon as you, I, I tell you, you'll understand. But it's it's one of those things that you go, oh, that makes sense. More than three thousand dollars a ticket. Any idea? Hmm. Um. McGuire. No. No. It was the World Series of 2016, and it's Cubs versus Cleveland. <laughs> and when in you Chicago, think about in, in Chicago, Chicago and, and, but if you think of both fan bases that were how many years uh, dearth of a uh, a World Series championship, and then the, and then then the even the games in Cleveland that thousands of Cubs fans came to. Uh, well, I was going to say this is, that was all initiated by Cubbies fans. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, this was. I mean. This was this was a Chicago thing last night too. When you think how close Dyersville, Iowa, is to to Chicago yeah, and and the White Sox, right? Yeah. So I'll tell you one thing. Um. You know, as ever, I think everybody has probably seen the movie at least once, and most people probably several times. Although yeah. I concede it's probably been ten years since I watched it. I don't know about you. I've watched it since then. I think. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to go back and watch it again. I, I can't imagine how many people will do that. Well, I was going to say how much, and you know, if there was a blockbuster video on the corner, I guess they would have been out of rentals by now, but, um, how many downloads I wonder of the, of the movie occurred in the last 24 hours? Well, whether it's Netflix or Amazon prime or whatever. Yeah. I don't even, every, I don't even know if it's on, that. it's on. Yeah. I don't know where it is. I, I actually have a copy of it. So do we. Yeah. Now it's, packed away somewhere in a box i notice you're making progress on your mantle over there that's well, you good. can see yeah the mantle is uh is cleaned up <laughs> doing an excellent and the bookcase job. behind me too excellent and there's job. a bunch of junk on the desk and i just you know i'm so do you, now do you can do you consider field of dreams a sports movie sure you do okay sure well, the, any movie that in which the premise of the movie is based in or around sport um, is a sports movie from from my perspective. I mean, it's not it's not per, is it a baseball movie? Well, the the topic is baseball, but is it really about baseball? It's not really, but well, it's about a father and a son, and it's about you know. Well, that is yes, that ultimately is the the premise of it. Um. But there are plenty of sports movies out there. You know, is Rocky about boxing? Or is Rocky, you know, a, a movie about relationships? And But and... I, guess, I, I guess my point is, is that when you think of how much baseball action is in Field of Dreams and the type of baseball action in Field of Dreams, it well, not was much. relatively easy to recreate. Rocky... Rocky would have been difficult to recreate the fights. It was, I mean, that was, that oh, okay. was one of the I, great, that was one of the great aspects of the Rocky movies was in theory, how real they appeared. I grant you that, but in truth, how much actual fight footage was in the movie? Five no, That's a good question. Oh, I think more than that. Don't you? I don't. When Apollo Creed and, and, and so, and, and Rocky Balboa went that first, didn't we see all 15 rounds? Well, didn't no, we see you it? didn't see all 15 rounds. Didn't we? It felt, it felt like we did. In its entirety? No. <laughs> okay, maybe it was more than five, but I'll bet you it wasn't more than 10. 
in that's total. An interesting, that's an interesting one. Out of an hour and a half of the movie. So how much, you know, you didn't see much baseball in Field of Dreams. No. You didn't see much of, the, of, of them playing. Saw a few shots. But the whole premise of the movie revolved around the game, the history of the game. Yeah. Shoeless Joe Jackson. Yeah. Um, the fact that uh, Costner's dad was a ball player. Correct. Um, and played, dabbled as a professional. And the doctor, Bud Lengista, uh, was, a form, was a ball player who played or never got, he didn't never, never got bat. to the majors, never got to the majors. I don't yeah. Think. He never got an at bat. Right. Yeah. And he was going to get his at bat in the at field of dreams. And then the kid got, and he uh, had to save, he had to save had to the, had to save, save his the uh, Costner's daughter. Yeah. That's right. From choking on the hot dog. No, it's a sports movie for a hundred percent. Okay. Um, and look, I wish I'd seen it. I, 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 my intent was to watch it, and I simply forgot about it. And uh, I wasn't disappointed. I thought, I thought the opening was oh, quite predictable. But really well done. Well, you know, they played the music. Costner comes out of the cornfield, and then the players come out of the cornfield. And I can imagine sitting there and getting goosebumps in watching this. I'll tell you the one thing that was... I don't know if it was disappointing, but um, the Sox, as we know, the Chicago White Sox have gone through a myriad of uniforms. Yep. In the 70s. Um, you know, the they shorts? Had, yeah, they had, well, they had the shorts. They had the funky black tops mm -hmm. before anybody else did. The logo that they used, the, the big S with the O and the X in yeah. between the curves of the S, I think was reflective of the era. Were the Yankee uniforms reflective of the era? Well, I think they were. They're just their 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 road graves. I think they did. I think they I don't were think their they, road graves. Yeah. Because the one thing one thing I remember is for a long time the Yankees wore uniforms that didn't have NY on them. And um I thought that was a little flaw for lack of a better term i don't know whether you agree or disagree with that but um well, I, I, did, it, I thought they I, were the, the, the i only, thought they were today's uniforms not not an historic uniform i may be wrong no i i i i, I actually looked at that and thought geez that was interesting we're just regular road grays yeah um but uh uh, but they could like, it's funny when they're, when, when somebody's wearing pinstripes and playing the Yankees, uh, you, you, you do get a little confused because the white Sox wore pinstripes last night. And so there was a couple times that I, in, in, in fleeting, I looked up and there was a, a pitcher on the mound with pinstripes pitching against a guy with, with grays. And I wondered if, where the, was the Yankees or the Yankees at bat or was it Chicago? And then I, then I had to, Click yeah, back and realized, yeah, yeah, but it was, I, I thought, well, listen, overall, it was um, really well done. You, you, you got to, what was interesting for me, Bob, there was as much as we think that baseball has gone tech, high tech, you know, there was no um, strike zone. There was no velocity stuff. There was no, I don't, I don't even think there was a, was a jugs last night. And it was, it was, there was a purity to it. I think they tried to match the, you know, the era. Sure. But it was really nice just to watch baseball um, without all, with, with some of the technology. And yet, and yet the television technology they used was spectacular. You know, they had, they had drones all over the place that were just unbelievable shots above the stadium. Well, it is intriguing to me that they eliminated the, um, the technology on screen that we've become used to the box. Yep. And I'm going to, and, and it was, the game was done by Fox mm -hmm. who were really um, the most revolutionary of the television networks in terms of covering sports with the blue puck, with the stream everything, and the, everything with the line of scrimmage. With, yeah, listen, the, Bob, Bob, with, with the, with the on screen scoreboard, Fox was the one that brought the on-screen scoreboard, and people said you're cluttering up the picture. 
And yeah. I mean, I remember just as an aside, I remember our meetings at Hockey Night in Canada at the time saying, we have no choice. We, we have to put a scoreboard on the screen because people, people now expect it and demand well, I, it. I have occasionally, and I know you have too, watched historic games, whether on Leafs TV or elsewhere, yeah. from the era before the, you know, the Chiron or whatever was on the screen all the time, where, where yeah. you had, you know. 1996, I think. Um, it's really hard to watch. I know, I know. And, and, and I, I admit, I, I, I'm quite a traditionalist when it comes to things like that. And I was a bit stubborn saying, well, no, that's not the way we do things. But in the end, it was just a natural conclusion you had to come to because what was your job? Your job wasn't to, was, wasn't to create a, a problem for the viewer. The, you were supposed to be enhancing the relationship between the game and the viewer and, and so the scoreboard just made sense, but that was that was Fox. They did a lot. They they did a ton of that stuff, uh, and and still continue to try to, which which is which is for the most part a good thing. But there are times that you wonder about it. Well, and it was intriguing that that they are the ones who took it yeah. all away yeah. for that one game, yeah. and it it raised the question when I saw the high again. I'm only talking about highlights, but when I saw that, I thought, well, you know what. I wonder if that becomes the new thing. Now there's going to be an outcry to get rid of the box and the, the um, um, MPH for the pitcher's speed. And I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I think we want it all. Uh, and when we, when, when we take it away for a special event like this, we can enjoy it for the moment. But I think that, I think there are certain things we take for granted now, Bob. And if they were gone completely, we'd, we'd be, uh, there'd be a huge, huge outcry. By the way, no, speaking, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No. Well, no, I was going to I was going to say one of the things that the boxes has, has done, and it's, you know, it's appropriate that I ask you about this as somebody who spent so many years in the truck. There was an era where occasionally you would see a pitcher throw a pitch and it wasn't the, the center field camera. Yeah, that's that right. was the shot. Everyone was sometimes from behind the plate. Yeah. Don't see that anymore. No, no, because you eliminated and it's eliminated specifically because the perception is you got to have the box and the MPH on there. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There, that that's, I I wonder, I wonder for a lot of reasons why we, we, we have, we've eliminated in many ways that camera behind home plate, whether it's because the seats have been sold, I noticed last night Fox had a remote control camera behind there as opposed to a manned camera. Uh, but um, the, the, what, what I wanted to talk about was, you know, in, in reading social media last night, everybody was, you know, uh, you know, salivating over the field of dreams, the whole thing. But then there was a tremendous outcry against Joe Buck again. And I, 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 I don't, and then, and of course, Buck was host of Jeopardy a week or two ago and, and got skewered for that. I, I want to know what the hate affair is with Joe Buck. Do you have a, do you have a thought on that? Oh, Joe's been on the program. Yeah. Um, I'm, he's, he's, he seems like a very nice guy. Uh, he comes from an, obviously an illustrious family background in sure. broadcasting. Maybe it's a comparative thing. You know, I'm, I'm trying to put it in context, but, um, whether you liked Bill Hewitt or not as a broadcaster, he was the son of Foster Hewitt. And Foster Hewitt was the first and the yeah. dean of yeah. hockey broadcasters. So in my view, there was nothing Bill could ever have done to live up to his father. And their careers essentially overlapped. Yeah, I actually think Bill in the end was a better play-by-play guy on TV than Foster was. Well. Foster was just the first. Yeah. And being first is not easy. Um, And I don't disagree with you. I think Bill was the better broadcaster. Um, Bill was an interesting character. Yes, he was. Uh, And and I got along famously with Foster. I had the great privilege of working for CKFH when I started in this business and um, used to spend time. We, We had Nelson Millman on the other day, and we were talking about putting feet up on the desk. Um, I actually put my feet up on Foster's desk. How'd that go? 
And it was okay. He was good with it. Yeah. Um, but you're, you're suggesting you're suggesting that Joe Buck is getting criticized because he's Jack Buck's son. I don't know. But Jack Buck was a great broadcaster. Oh, sure he was. But and, I mean, there are, there are there are generations now that, that I mean, if you had said Jack Buck, they would have said you mean Joe because we don't we've never heard of Jack. I no, think I get it. I, I just don't understand why the what the hate affair is with Joe Buck. He's a I mean, is he is he too smart to be a play by play guy? Is he too cute? Is he? I, th- well, I think he and, he, and Aikman, he and Aikman work well together. He and John Smoltz work well together. I just don't understand why people don't like Joe Buck. I don't. I think he's a good broadcaster. Well, I think he's a good broadcaster too, but I, I'm trying to come up with analysis. Look at the Alberts. Um, do you like all the Alberts? I like Marvin Kenny. Well, Steve and Al weren't my cup of tea, but. Well, there you go. See, and I mean, the. That probably answers your question with the Bucks. Yeah, it's it, but it's it's got you know how you know how just social media can get. It has gone to the oblime with with Joe at times. Like last night was Field of Dreams is just heaven, but Joe Buck is hell. You know, I mean, tons of comments like that all night last night, and I just don't get it. I just don't understand it. Well, you'll have to live with it. I know. Uh, yeah, but I I feel bad for a guy like like Buck, who's worked his ass off. Um, on another subject, or maybe we should take a break. We'll take a break and come back and we'll chat about a few more things. Okay. Uh, after these messages. Uh, it's McCowan and Shannon just chatting today. I hope that's okay with y'all. So we went through the Field of Dreams thing. So I didn't watch Field of Dreams last night. I forgot it was on, and I but I did watch the Blue Jays and the Angels wow. last night. And uh, the pitching matchup, Looked like a, a potentially great one, uh, Barrios and Otani. Right. What did you and, think of Otani? Um, thought he threw harder. Yeah. Then he did. I, now, he didn't throw hard last night. Um, he was probably, I think he's hit 100. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I think he has, yeah. Yeah, and I think he averages 96, 97. And I don't know what the numbers were last night, but it seemed to me he was probably two or three miles per hour below that. Um, his breaking ball, uh, he's got a bunch of them. We're all good. Um, he's, he's a pretty remarkable athlete, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to hit and, and pitch. And, you know, I wonder whether we're going to see others get given that opportunity because nobody's really been given that opportunity since Babe Ruth. Mm -hmm. Not really. Now you got to have the skill set to be able to do it, but I've always submitted that a great athlete is a great athlete, no matter what sport he he winds up in that a great baseball player, if he'd focused on something else would be great at something else. Um, now that's not universally true, but as a, a generic statement, but Otani is remarkable. Yeah. And uh, Barrios had an off night. Clearly. Yeah. Um, this is a guy who I think had walked one in his three appearances with the blue Jays since he came over. And had a bunch of walks last night. I lost track. Five, six. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, must, be, it must be frustrating to be an Angels fan. Because you, you see them play the way they did last night, the way Otani pitches, you know, if and when Trout's ever 100%. Uh, they, they, they should be better than they are. You know, they're a game over 500 now, but they should be better. Well... Look, you can't take a guy as impactful as Trout out of the lineup and expect to be good enough. Um, they have some nice players. Yeah. I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the missing piece of that puzzle is. It's probably like every other team. You look at it and you go, well, we should, they should be better than they, they, they are. What, what, what did you see in Vlade last night that you liked or didn't like? Guerrero? Yeah. Um, well, another over the shoulder. Yeah. Um, that I thought the second baseman sh- should have called him off on because uh, clearly he, he could have got there. Uh, it's, it, it is interesting that we've seen in the last few days, uh, two plays are almost identical. And in both cases, he, he missed, missed the play. Now it's a tough play. You can go a whole year and not see one of those or have one of those, but he's had two in a week. 
Yeah. And, and I think we're at times he's been so good. I think we forget he's still learning the position. Well, I give you all that. I'm not, yeah. I'm not trying to be critical. Yeah. But you asked me what I saw. Yeah. Him. I yeah. mean, and he's in the midst of a, an offensive slump. Yeah. I was, I was more concerned about at the plate. What did, did you see? Do you see anything? I mean, are, are we phoning the, the hitting coach and saying, Hey, uh, that's always a dangerous thing to try and overanalyze a guy who's proven that he can hit. I mean, I don't think he's going to be in a prolonged slump. He'll figure it out. His hands are so quick, yeah. so quick. Um, he hit a couple balls hard, and that's really what you're asking for. But he's in a slump. I think he, going into last night's game, was hitting under 200 in the month of August. His batting average <coughs> at one point this year was 340. It was in the 320, high 20s, 330 for a good portion of the year. And now he's under uh, I think he's around 310, mm. somewhere around there. So with the number of at-bats that he gets, you know, he's in a slump, no doubt about it. Um, but you can't, how are you going to, you're going to judge him against Otani? I don't know. No, but it, it, it's funny because when we had Dan on earlier in the week, Dan Schulman, um, uh, we asked him, you know, Otani or Guerrero for the MVP and then, reading the papers the last three days that's all they've been talking about is that comparison i don't know whether it's fair or not at this point or whether we're just because it's it's angels jays uh and one guy i mean even in the 10-2 loss uh otani uh was you know angels lose 10-2 otani hits home run you know, yep. <laughs> you know the, the, the focus in the storyline seems to always be the same for for, for what happens in, in Orange County. Well, look, at, it's, it's unfortunate for, the, for Guerrero that he's in the slump when they play the Angels. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, if you, were, uh, if you had an MVP vote and, you never, got, and you, you, you never got to see these two guys play a lot and, and just watch the four games, yeah. it's a clean sweep. Right. Otani is the MVP. I mean, he pitched great. He hit great. And and Vladdy was not impactful in any of the any of the four games. So, um, and that's not fair. And you should never judge. But we all we know that there are plenty of people that have votes for things. That, that's that get, all they do is watch. They watch those four games and say, "Well, that's, I, it's, I've decided." That's right. Yeah, that's right. Because they don't they don't either they don't have the opportunity or they don't take the time to really focus in. And a lot of them won't watch any games. They'll just look at numbers on a piece of paper. And that seems to be more and more of the way sports is going these days. Well, particularly in the last two years where people don't travel as much, they, they, you don't go to ballparks near as much you're watching on television, you pick and choose the games you watch. It's uh, I think that's true in every sport. Yeah. I mean, I think with, I think when you look at postseason awards in most sports, there's a lot more controversy now about who won, but, and based on what, for that very reason. Bianca Andrescu gets bounced from the, um, whatever it's called. National Bank. What's the sponsors? National Bank tournament. I got nothing against National Bank. I got nothing against any bank. Bank's a bank. You know, Rogers had the whole thing locked up and then decided for whatever reason to, uh, to dump the title sponsorship off. And National Bank picked it up. Good for them. Remember when sponsorships hung for decades? You know, like 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 corporate like, partner. Like, well, I, like who? Uh, well, if you were a CFL fan, they were known as the Shenley Awards for thirty years. You know, Peter Jan- You know, before cigarettes and liquor were outlawed to advertise, Peter Jackson and tobacco. The Peter Jackson uh, moniker was a part of golf forever, wasn't it? The briar used to be called the McDonald briar. Yeah, McDonald tobacco. That's right. Yep. Yeah, that's right. But then it was the Labatt briar. I guess, it, is it still a Labatt briar? I don't know. It's not a good uh, corporate partnership if we can't remember what it is. Well, and then the women's side is the Scotties. You know, that's what and, they well, call that, it. Yeah, but, and, but, and that, that's a, there's a long-term sponsorship sure. that... Uh, I think they Scott, just celebrated 20 years or maybe Scott, more. That Scott Paper saying, God, we got into something good and we're sticking with it. Yeah. But well, people don't do that very often anymore, do they? Anyway, Bianca Andreescu loses in the third round. 
Um, I know you can't compare things, but um, we've now had three significant tennis players who had high aspirations for success, who have had, who has, whose careers essentially have been derailed by, by injury. Yep. And um, I kind of wondered whether Bianca would be able to bounce back, but I mean, last night's match, and again, I confess I did not see it, but only read about it. Uh, she had a foot injury. I know there were two rain delays that lasted four hours. Yeah, it was a long one. But she had a foot injury and had to get her big toe taped. We've all done that, you know, where you roll your big toe. Um, and sometimes it's a nagging little thing that's fairly insignificant, and sometimes it's a bigger thing. She has played very little tennis over the last couple of years mm -hmm. and has had literally no success. Yeah. This was a young, this was a young woman who won three tournaments in what? 2019, in, including Toronto. Uh, including, and, well, that was a little tainted because I think Serena. Well, she, okay. Serena but, leave the final, but she got to the final. Yeah. She got to the final and, and Serena couldn't finish. And if that was asterisked, Andrescu took care of that at the U.S. Open later right. in the year. Right. Where she beat her fair and square. Mm -hmm. And she won um, in California earlier in the year in one of the, one of the big early season yeah. events. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she looked like the real deal. Like, almost inevitably going to be the number one player in the world. And that has been completely derailed. And at least in part because of injury. But I'm really quite surprised that she hasn't been able to elevate her game, if you will, since being hurt. Well, it, it, the, the fascination of what she's gone through is that, you know, she, she has pushed her body to the point of breaking. Um, and, it, it, you know, it, it's not her lack of competitiveness. It's not, it's not her ability, but she, she actually pushes herself too hard. And how, how, learning how to manage that um how to manage your body is something that i think every great athlete has to has has to do in order to create that longevity i mean you look uh, at roger federer you look at roger federer federer you, you know i think i think he over the years and years has learned how to manage that more well, yeah so but he said roger federer's a perfect example of the opposite because here's a guy who's had plenty of injuries has had surgeries mm -hmm. to the best of my knowledge bianca hasn't had a surgery um, Federer's had surgeries and at almost 40 years older, I don't know if he is 40 years old now, close, still playing and still playing at a, at a, a tremendously high level. Bianca is losing to players that she would have wiped the court with two years ago, mm -hmm. including last night yeah. with due respect. She would have won that without even thinking about it. And the parallel as a Canadian watching tennis players that rears its ugly head is Rownage. Sure. Who has had a career of this kind of stuff. Now I confess after he's been hurt, he has come back and played well periodically. Bianca hasn't done that yet. She hasn't won a tournament. She, I don't think she's gotten to a final. She's she clearly her game is not where it was. Raonic at least was able to recover from, but he was out, he's out again, and Lord so only it, knows how many years he's got left. So your 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 Bianca Andreescu's coach slash manager. Oh, don't what, ask me this. I don't know. You Before tell I know take, the question, I don't take, know the answer. Take take the year off. Get back to being a hundred percent. You're young enough. I that think she's done that. You know, a lot of she didn't play at all, hardly at all, during the COVID thing. And I think she's had the time off. I think she needs to play rather than take time off, but she keeps getting hurt. And, and that's the parallel with Roundage. Mm -hmm. And so far she hasn't been able to come back from that. Um, her being ranked still in the top 10, I think is a complete mirage. Um, 
I'll tell you, I don't think there's a top 10 player that I'd rather play if I wanted to beat somebody in the top 10 than Bianca. Hmm. I don't think she's anywhere near a top 10 player. That may be her ranking, but I don't think she's anywhere near that. And I'm rooting for her. I think we all are. Yeah. I mean, we'd love to have a, a, somebody who's number one in tennis or in golf, you know, in an individual sport, a worldwide recognized individual professional sport. And right now, that doesn't seem to be in the cards. Actually, to that point, do you think as Canadians, we put too much pressure on our stars? Do you think we put... Well, maybe, but our, you know, we have high expectations for our stars, but how does, that doesn't affect them. I don't think that impacts well, unless, on how they perform. I mean, obviously, I think it does to some of them. I, think, I, I mean, I think that it has affected some of, some of these athletes. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Being able to manage pressure is part of being an elite athlete. And, and when you, when you put the pressure of a, of a, when you have a hundred and, you know, you know, let's say a hundred tennis players or a hundred golfers in a tournament, um, and you're the only Canadian and, you know, you, you're hearing it from left and right. And remember these, lots of these people are younger than you and me, Bob, and they do, they, they do go to the they do go to social media and, and, and read stuff and see stuff. And there's still a demand for interviews. There's still demand for, for time from, from the Canadian media and Canadian sponsors that maybe it is, is it is, and I'm not suggesting I'm asking the question, is it at times too much? No, I don't think so. Um, I don't think, look at, there are pressures in being an elite athlete without question. Are there extra pressures in being an elite Canadian athlete? And I think the answer is no. I don't think the coverage that we provide is is as intense as American coverage. Japanese well, but when you're covering Japanese 90, coverage of well, athletes. That's now that's that's another level. Well, but that's that's the point. another no, but 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 learning how to manage that pressure is a big part of the job. I mean, we're not talking when you when we talk about. But Bianca, I don't think there's. I think the pressure is zero. The pressure is wow. what you put on yourself to succeed. The fact that you're a Canadian or not is of really little consequence. We have, I don't know, half dozen or more players on the PGA tour that are capable of winning. Um, well, and, and at least three of them off the top of my head have right now who are playing. Yeah. So well, Connors and Hughes and, and, and Adam Hadwin and Adam Hadwin Hadwin. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, and we've had a half a dozen in the last couple of years that have been out there and, and, and performing pretty well. It, 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 I, th I think it's, it's a question like all the, my point was that all of these, all these athletes now are surrounded by coaches, including teams, including their, their psychologists on how to manage all of this. And you have to wonder what kind of pressure um, these guys are under and how their psychologists help them manage it. Cause let's face it. That was, and, and I, I wasn't intently involved in, in the storyline, but that was one of Jeannie Bouchard's problems. Right? Well, yeah, Jeannie. Right. How she managed of, all the success, you know? Yeah, well, for Jeannie, it was a little different. I don't remember. Did she have a serious injury? I know she had injuries. I guess all athletes get injuries from time to time, and tennis players are susceptible to them as well. And, um, But really, I think you're right. I mean, here was a, a very attractive young woman who got a lot of the Hollywood treatment, mm -hmm. uh, probably even before she had any success on the court. But when she had that brief flash of success, my goodness. Um, it was spectacular. But, but managing success is a big part of being a, an elite, elite athlete. Well, it's almost, I, it's almost, it's almost I, I would suggest at times it might be more difficult than managing failure because failure you obviously know what you have to do and and you see what you have to do managing yeah. success you know it's the emperor has no clothes at times well but it's managing the success off of the field of play more than on the field of play don't you think yeah i think that's i think that's a big part of it so that's what oh, i'm yeah. saying is before and after once once the event starts it's you know and uh, I mean, remember when you you asked Mackenzie Hughes last week about 
you know, after you hit the first drive, did all the butterflies go away? Um, and, and, and after the first hole, did, did, you know, if you had a birdie, did it, did it, did it set you up? But, you know, they don't stop being that athlete when the event stops. And I, I think that I, I think the burden that they create for themselves, I think the burden that the system creates for them and, and, and that psychologist that, that these every one of these people is surrounded with now uh, plays such a big role in having them manage their success. And some manage that more than other. I would I would tell you right now, Bob, and this is just my opinion, the pressure of being a, an elite athlete and then, then being an elite Canadian athlete because you have the regular pressures of being on the tour on the PGA and you see the regular media guys like this week's at the Wyndham you see the regular guys in North Carolina that you would normally see and then you come home for the weekend and you're you're in Hamilton and you got then you have the Canadian side of it you, you can't hide it's almost like people like us but extra pressure on these athletes because not only do they have to do their regular media then they have to do Canada then they have Canadian sponsors. So it's, it's too, to me, being a Canadian elite athlete at times is two tiered. And I, I I do think that there's quite quite a bit more pressure at times and there's so few of them, Bob, there's so few of them. I mean, there's 90 guys on the tour from the United States and you know, they all, they all can win a tournament at any one time. We have four. Well, yeah. Well, that, that's a whole other conversation. I mean, and, and, you know, you've got probably 200 players worldwide who theoretically are good enough to play on the tour. And, um, and when you can play on the tour, you can win on the tour. If you have, if you have a good week, your point about the Japanese media and, and the Japanese corporate sponsorships and the Japanese athletes that come to North America is a really good one. Well, I mean, that's another level. It's insane. Yeah. Anybody who's been to, as we have been to a sporting event when there's a Japanese athlete, and it doesn't even have to be a great athlete. No. The, the amount of media that they literally send over to follow yeah. them. Yeah. It's almost like stalking. Yeah. yeah. It, the remember intensity Ichi- of it. Remember when Ichiro used to come, when Ichiro Sorry. used to come, when Ichiro used to come to, to Toronto yeah. with Seattle. There'd be 45 extra media members. Oh, yeah. All Japanese. All for him. Yep. All for him. (laughs) Not interested in the other team, not interested in the other players on his team. Right. But they they were going to categorize and document every move that Ichiro made. Yeah. No, that's kind of my point. Not that to that extent, but that's kind of my point about Canadian athletes. One more break and we'll come back with more. After these messages, if you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Uh, I want to touch on this before we go, um, but we're going to deal with it down the road. We're about to get single event sports betting in um, in Canada. Yep, August twenty eighth, um, I think. August twenty eighth, something like that. End of the yeah. end of this month. Yeah. Uh, this is not a new idea. This is um, I I did a a presentation to the federal government. Um, I believe Dennis Mills at the time asked me to do a presentation regarding the legalization of sports wagering um at that time proline i think i believe existed but that's a completely different animal and uh they weren't ready for it and now apparently they are um we should dig into this story a little bit um see where it goes and uh clearly the positions and i i stated this many many years ago the defiance of the leagues like the nhl MLB, NFL, to the legalization of sports betting. NBA was the worst. NBA was the worst at one point. Yeah. Well, the National Football League, I I remember this distinctly. When I lived in Las Vegas, they used to have these helmet chairs. There were these giant football helmets that were made into chairs, and you sat Mm -hmm. inside this chair to watch the games on Sunday morning 
at Caesar's Palace on the big screens. Right. And you had to book them. And I think you probably had to pay to have to sit in one. Back then, you know, when you looked at the board, it was Browns versus Jets. It was Colts versus Steelers. NFL made them change all that. They made them get rid of, they couldn't use the logos. They couldn't use the helmets. They couldn't even use the nicknames of the teams. No, that's right. So Brown Steelers became Cleveland Pittsburgh. The Jets were NY bracket A and the Giants were NY bracket N for American and national um, conferences. So, you know, this love affair that they now purport to have the professional sports leagues with sports betting is a complete fraud. They're, they're in it now because they're making money off it. And that's what I, exactly what I said 20 sure. years ago. And, and, and more importantly, and it's funny, we, we started talking about this early on, technology on broadcast, technology at events allows more of this to occur all the time, particularly when it comes to prop bets. You know, how many, how many, and we're going to, that's where I believe that uh, a couple of the sports, the NBA and the NHL are really going to try to try to beef things up is, is in the prop betting is, you know, will, will, will the Toronto Maple Leafs score on this power play and you'll be well, able to, bet, bets, you'll, yeah, you'll the, be able to yeah. do it on your phone. Yeah. The prop bets um, will, will be the phone immediate. Yeah. You know, um, you'll get your answer in, in the space of seconds, minutes yeah. at the most. And then you can, then you can wager again. Well, when they do voluntary tax, that's what I call it. They do over and over and over and over again. And the guy who, who started prop betting, you know who the guy, what the guy's name was? Uh, okay. Guy's name was Sonny Reisner. Oh, and, and Sonny was the sports book operator at the Castaways Hotel, which has long since been demolished and replaced. <laughs> it's where the Mirage is now. And the Castaways was a dumpy little joint on the strip. And Sonny was the dean of, um, of line makers. Yeah. And he started prop bets. And I don't think this was the first prop bet. But his most famous prop bet was who shot jr really from dallas and he, even though that is a really a, a fictional event and and he couldn't he, he couldn't take bets on it right he put up odds on it right but couldn't take bets on it and the reason of course was because it's not real well no that somebody knows the answer yes and um it was fabricated. that's part of the raw the, the raw the laws in uh, in the state of nevada well everywhere yeah if you know the outcome in advance of anything, you know, you could take, you can take bets on an election. Oh, sure. It's in certain, in certain places, in certain places, in certain places. Yeah. But you can't not on a team, but, but yeah. that posting that, and then all of the suspects, the list of suspects, I remember being in the castaways, the, it used to be called the hole in the wall sports book, his sports book, Today's sports books are like the size of football fields with giant yes. screens and everything. Yeah. When Sonny Reisner was, was booking games back in the 1970s, his sports book used to be the coat closet. <laughs> True story. So, that with the half door? Well, I, they tore all, they, the, it was a, the coat closet for the casino for people when it was, the weather yeah. was yeah. cold, yeah. you could hang your coat up and they had somebody there, you know, coat sure. check. Sure. It was the coat check booth. And they ripped the coat check booth out. I don't remember if they replaced it, but they made it the, um, yeah. the, the sports book. That's how tiny it was. So, so here, here, it's just, you, you, you tweak me to something. How soon we live in Toronto, obviously uh, real sports across the street from Scotiabank arena is arguably the most successful sports bar sports entertainment center uh, with food and drink uh, in North America. It's, it's done remarkably well. Um, how, how soon do we see that place become a semi sports book? I, in order to answer that question, I would have to know what the laws are Yeah, and I haven't seen them yet. So I really don't know. Uh, I can't answer that question. Um, but soon, <laughs> well, if, if they if, allow it, 
if they allow it. Yeah. Um, but then you get into this whole thing like they did with off-track betting. Um, everybody's going to want it. Right. And not everybody's going to be able to do it efficiently. And um, I, I just don't, I don't know the answer. That, sound, that actually sounds like how we rolled out cannabis sales in our country too. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we should talk about it next week. We should get somebody on from the government who can answer some of these questions that I can't answer right now because um, it's going to become a part of our lives. Yeah, yeah. Whether you do it or don't do it, we're going to be talking about it. I hope they don't clutter my screen up too much. They better not clutter my screen at all. At well, it, 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 that's all. the that's I guess that's the magic of having multiple channels, right? There's no reason to do this. Yeah, there's no reason to clutter the screen. In the 1980s, when I lived in Las Vegas, I mean, I was aware of sports betting every day. Yeah, I watched games. Now, granted, they were games that came from somewhere else, but they, they didn't clutter the screen with anything. I watched a game in Vegas where it was legal to have a bet. And I saw the exact same picture that you saw, whether you were in Toronto or in BC yeah. or wherever you were at the time. Yeah. You saw exactly the same. But, but you, you also saw giant boards with odds on the side. If I was in the sports book, if you were in the sports book, yeah. if I was in the sports book, the odds would be posted in yeah. front of me and, and prop betting proposition betting mm. um, was not a big deal back then. Yeah. There but, were but, some prop bets. But usually prop bets were basically Super Bowl. You know, that's where the prop bets really took where, off. That's where people understood them, right? Yeah. And, 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 and anybody who had, there was no expertise. There was no expertise in the prop bets at the Super well, Bowl. Well, flip a coin, <laughs> yeah. more or less. Now, how long is the anthem going to be? A minute 30 or more? I made one prop bet in my life and I won it. Okay. Want to know what it was? Tell me. Refrigerator Perry. Oh, whether he's going to score a touchdown or not? Yeah, 17 to 1, I got. Wow. Yeah. I, I got my ass kicked in the game. Well, I you actually, picked the Patriots? I picked the Patriots, and I picked under. <laughs> Un the under was over at halftime. Yes, it was. Thank goodness for your prop bet. I was well, in Chicago. Was I was actually in Chicago that night. We were sitting in a, we were doing a hockey game the next night. We were in Chicago there. You, we could have driven 17 Sherman tanks down Michigan Avenue. There was yeah, no one was on the nobody, street. Everybody was inside watching the game. Absolutely. Yeah. We got to get out of here. Have yourself a swell weekend, Shannon. Okay, Robert, you too. And uh, pack a we'll, few more boxes. We'll catch you Monday if the crick don't rise. Goodbye, everybody.